There's an innate drive in human beings for freedom. The toddler dreams of being emancipated from their car seat. The elementary school student dreams of being set free from crayons to this beautiful world of colored pencils. The middle school student dreams of being freed from the tyranny of acne. The teenager dreams of being handed the keys to a car and say, you get to define your own destiny and go wherever you want to. The college student dreams of being set free from books so that they can go out and get a real job. And those of us that have a real job dream of being set free on that day when they will shake our hand, give us a gold watch and say, you can go and do whatever you want to. Everyone in the world dreams of a level of freedom. The abused dreams of being set free into love and hope. The addict dreams of being, of losing the chains and no longer running to the numbing agents and instead being set free into a life of God-filled sobriety. The slave, of which there are still millions in our world today, dream of being free just to choose, to choose their path, their life, and their destiny. When I became a United States citizen, I was sworn in with a series of very well-dressed and distinguished young American Marines. They were being sworn in with me. And when I leaned over to one of them and asked them where they were from, the young man beside me shocked me with his answer. I did not expect him to say, I am from Iraq. That kind of that blew me away because in that moment, he was receiving a national freedom and his express purpose was to use that freedom to protect and provide freedom for others who had never known the freedom that he was receiving in that moment. I mean, how amazing is it that that young Marine was being sworn in as an American citizen to protect my right to be able to stand here today and talk to you about Jesus? I mean, that's just an incredible thing. And it birthed something inside of my heart. I believe the greatest proponents of freedom are those who've experienced captivity. People who've felt the chains, somehow understand freedom even more. No one understands captivity better than someone who was once held captive by a person or a habit or a sinful decision. No one embraces or loves freedom more than someone who either lost it or relinquished it of its own or of their own accord. And today we're going to hear from the prophet Isaiah, a man who understood what spiritual bondage and captivity was. His nation, the nation of Israel, for years had experienced captivity. And now Isaiah is speaking to them directly about their spiritual bondage. And his message to them is unbelievably simple. If you are free, use your freedom to give other people freedom, to bring other people to freedom. And I would say the same thing to my spiritual family here at Christ the King Church. If you have been set free, use that freedom to draw others towards freedom. Don't use your freedom as license to go back to the garbage that God saved you from. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do nothing. Don't use your spiritual freedom as an elitist way to judge people who are not free. No, the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So live free, share freedom, and use your story of being set free to touch somebody else who's not free yet. In the last days of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln went to Richmond, Virginia. He wanted to go and to meet some of the people that had been set free, free from his penning of the Emancipation Proclamation and through his army who had just walked into Richmond, Virginia and essentially proclaimed freedom to thousands. Admiral David Porter was an eyewitness that day as Abraham Lincoln gathered people around and this is what he said to them. My poor friends, you are free, as free as the air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample upon it because liberty is your birthright. And then Lincoln warned them. He said, 
Let the world see that you merit your freedom. Don't let your joy carry you into excess. Learn the law and obey them. And that is so much like the message of Jesus who comes and liberated us with his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus gives us our true birthright, spiritual freedom, and then says, don't use this freedom as an excuse for disobedience. Instead, abide by God's law and be set free in the freedom that only he can give. So 700 years before Jesus is born, the prophet Isaiah speaks to a group of people who are struggling with that freedom, and this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and your vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. So the prophet Isaiah says, to those of you who have been set free, here are your marching orders. Number one, you have a message to proclaim. You have been set apart to proclaim good news to the poor. Christ the King, let me ask you a question. What's the message that you speak every week to the downcast and the poor, the poor in spirit and the literal poor? What's your message? Is your message, you know what, chains are okay. They're not that bad. You kind of get used to them over time. Is that your message? Is your message, you know what, freedom's overrated. Just stay bound. It's not worth the work of trying to have those things broken off of your life. Is your message, being free is okay, but you're eventually just going to find something else to chain your life to, so don't even bother. Is that the message that we send each and every week? My prayer is that it never is. In fact, I have a message. It's very simple. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I can see. That's my message. I was in a prison of pain and hurt, and I tried to get out. Has anybody else noticed that you cannot burrow underneath of the walls of sin in your life? Anybody else noticed that you can't crawl up over the top? They're too high. They're too deep. I mean, I was a good Baptist kid. I learned that this was the answer to everything. Work harder. So I tried to tunnel my way out. I tried to dig away with it with everything that I possibly could, and I found myself still held captive by my own thoughts and ideologies. But into that, Jesus Christ, the great emancipator, came, did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and now I get an opportunity to carry a message every single week that I don't care if people think I'm an idiot for speaking the message or not. It's as simple as two words. Jesus saves. Can I get an amen from the 10 o'clock? I mean, and we're supposed to proclaim that good news, that Jesus saves. And Isaiah digs in at this point, and he lays a triple on us, okay? Good preachers have three points. Apparently, prophets get nine, okay? And we're going to cover them all really fast. Okay, are you ready? 
So here's the ninefold purpose that Isaiah lays out in Isaiah 61. Number one, we are to bind up the brokenhearted. Before you bind up the brokenhearted, you have to see them. You have to choose not to ignore them. You've got to be willing to engage the brokenhearted. You have to be willing to get messy with their wounds. If you're interested in a church where there is no mess and everything is fine and it's just a bunch of religious people smiling at each other and waving, you're in the wrong place. We treat Christ the King like an emergency room. There's blood everywhere. There's chaos. There's all kinds of stuff. In fact, someone asked me the other day, put your church in a nutshell. I said, it's simple. We run toward the messes. We love the mess because did anybody else in the room get saved out of a mess? Oh, I know, 10 o'clock, you guys are perfect and your life was all wonderful. It was easy. You know, your definition of hardship was having to actually push a remote control button, right? Anybody else get saved from a mess? There we go, okay? We need to bind up the brokenhearted. We have to get comfortable with the healing process. It's not clean. It's not without pain. We have to be willing to do for others what Jesus did for us. Secondly, we need to proclaim freedom for the captives. We have to be willing to take a bullhorn and shout into the darkness. Freedom is real. You can be free. You no longer need to carry the chains. You were not born for slavery. You were born for freedom. You know, it's amazing to me. Jesus actually read these words, quoted Isaiah 61, when he spoke in the temple that day. He's in the synagogue and he goes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I have brought a message to speak to the poor. And it was the beginning of the end for him because he fully engaged in his mission to set prisoners free. He called us to that good work and we've been called to be a part of that. My question is, are we actively participating? I put it this way in a little phrase, found people, find people. That's how we pay it forward. Found people find people. So if you're a found person who's never found anyone, you have to ask yourself the question, am I participating in God's mission or not? 10 o'clock, can we say it together? Those four words all together, ready? Found people find people. That's a part of, that's a part of the mission. You could put it another way. We chase prodigals because Jesus chases prodigals. Not with the hope of judging them, but with the hope of drawing them back so they can find freedom in Christ. Let's keep moving. Isaiah says we are called to release prisoners from the darkness. We get to hold the door open for those emerging from the darkness. Now, this is weird for us because some of us have forgotten. We've moved from becoming a doorman or a doorwoman, holding a door open as prisoners that were formerly enchained in sin are walking past of us. Some of us stopped being a doorman and we started guarding the door. And we created a series of checkbox answers where we basically say, you get to come out of the darkness as long as you follow the rules. There's a word for that in Scripture. It's called religion. You only get to come out if you meet our qualifications. You have to be really, really sorry. You got to be able to quote at least one verse. You have to come to, to church every single time. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but preferably it should be the church that we approve of. You have to be somewhat okay. You have to be somewhat unmessy. You have to do what's right. That is not what Scripture says formerly free prisoners of sin are supposed to do. Question for you. Did God find you all tidied up? With everything put together in your world? Or did God find you lost and broken like he found me? 
When Jesus opened the door of my prison cell, there was a checkbox that he checked off. Beside it, it said, deeply needs a Savior. And he checked that box. You know what's amazing good news for sinners? Sinners need saviors, and there is one. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. We need to proclaim God's favor. I mean, here it is again, right? Isaiah basically says, we don't brag about what we've done for God. We brag about what Jesus has done for us. And we state, this is the year of God's favor. This is the year that we believe more people are going to come to Christ than ever before. We believe this is the year when our tears are going to make sense. This is the year when we may get a few answers as to why God is doing what he's doing. This is the year when we're not only going to walk like free people, we're actually going to talk like free people. Let's keep going. Scripture says we're to comfort those who mourn. I mean, what an amazing honor that God would call all former sin prisoners to sit alongside of those who are mourning and grieving the fact that their lives are broken. Now, we need to be careful with this one. Old Testament story of Job, he loses everything. He loses his family, loses his business, and he's sitting in a pile of ashes, and his friends come. His friends come to fulfill the Jewish tradition of sitting Shiva, which meant to sit quietly for seven days and not say anything, just grieve with those who were grieving. His friends did awesome until they started talking. And then when they started talking, they started getting in all kinds of trouble. Job, you must have done something to deserve this. Job, something happened in your family. Something happened in your past. And they filled in a blank with God is a God who cruelly punishes people just for kicks. And they end up in a wrong conclusion. And Job's actually the one who fills in the blank accurately. We're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. But it's amazing to us. When we are sitting with someone, we don't need to have all the answers. We don't need to be the Bible answer man. We just simply need to be there in their presence, love and comfort them, and whisper in their ear when given opportunity, you can be set free. I was set free. Let's keep going. We provide for a divine exchange. I love these next verses, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. What we just saw over here in this baptism tank, that was God planting in the ground a sacred trust in the lives of the people who were baptized. And we got to watch them as they were transformed literally in front of our eyes into an oak of righteousness that flourished and grew right in front of us. And we do that not so we get glory or so they get glory, but so that all eyes will be on Jesus. That's the call for each and every one of us. And we get a front row seat. I mean, how blessed are you on a snowy slash rainy slash slushy slash sleet day to get to come to a place that you didn't have to come to and get a front row seat while 18 people stand up in public and say, Jesus chose me, so I choose Jesus. How blessed are you to have gotten a front row or a fifth row or a 35th row seat in life transformation? Don't tell me you're not blessed. I mean, I'm backstage just like, are you kidding me? It never gets old. We have a front row seat as we watch that exchange. And God says, don't just sit there in the exchange. Participate. Come with me. Be that person. 
that helps in the exchange of ashes for a crown, oil of mourning for an oil of joy. Allow to be yourself to be a part of that process as God takes off those old garments of despair and hurt and wounds and He puts on an entirely new garment of righteousness and joy. Let's keep going. Isaiah says we need to rebuild the broken ruins of the past. There's a rebuilding process that needs to go on. Rebuilding broken dreams, rebuilding broken relationships. The book of Nehemiah, Old Testament guy who was given the task of building a wall around Jerusalem. I love what God told him to use to rebuild the wall. He asked him not to use the new professionally cut precision stones None of them were available. You know what he used? He used the fire-baked stones that were thrown off in garbage dumps. If God can use fire-scorched stones to rebuild a spiritual perimeter around the city of Jerusalem, I believe he could use the fire-scorched lives of the people of Christ the King to build a spiritual perimeter around Whatcom County. That's the task he has called us to. Two years ago, I went into the heart of Fresno, California. Went down there to do some master's uh, degree work. Worked with a a doctor by the name of Dr. Randy White, one of the most amazing human beings I've ever had the privilege of meeting. Downtown Fresno is trisected by three different highways, and in the center of it is what is known in that area as the Devil's Triangle. Highest crime rate, lowest literacy rate. And when we were there, about three days into our experience together, we were introduced to a group of relocators never heard the term before. This was a group of people who were minding their own business in the suburbs until they read Isaiah 61 and God called them into the center of the city to completely recondition a neighborhood. They didn't just try to do it from the safety of the outside. They actually moved into the neighborhood and began to reclaim it for Jesus. They rebuilt entire neighborhoods. They called City Hall over and over and over again because all of the streetlights in the devil's triangle were no longer working. People had stolen all the copper out of them. And they kept calling and saying, here's the deal. If you turn on the lights, we believe the crime rate will go down. You have to turn the lights back on in the devil's triangle. And they called and they called and they called. When they started, there was one working streetlight in the entire neighborhood. Today, every single streetlight works. Because somebody picked up a phone and said, we're not just going to stand by and watch this anymore. It's time for this neighborhood to change. They bought drug houses and reconditioned them, gave them away to families. They built community gardens and gave away the food. They rebuilt schools one at a time. And they used these verses as their marching orders and they made a difference. They transformed a city because they took God's promises seriously. I mean, listen to this. The Bible says they will rebuild the ancient ruins. And the ancient places that were long devastated, they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. God is saying, look, I'm going to get this done. The question is, would you like to be a part of it? Or do you just want to sit back and do your own thing? Let me say it again. Found people, find people. Here's the uh, second to the last. I guess we're getting close to the end here. Renew hope for the future. Could we just envision what life in Whatcom County would look like if we actually did this? Can we envision a church where we chase prodigals and rebuild walls and reclaim our spiritual heritage? 
Can we envision a county where the only spiritual competition is the devil himself? Can we envision a church where the old take it very seriously to disciple the young? Can we envision a church that is known more for what it gives than what it takes? Can we envision a church where the broken and the lost can find wholeness and direction? Can we envision what that looks like, pray to that end, and then be the answer to our own prayer? That's what God is calling His people to through Isaiah 61. And here's the last piece. We need to embrace a true calling. You've heard me say this before. As we get ready to move into this God is thing, which is just scaring me to death. I mean, we need to pray, people, because this is going to be, this could be defining in the life of our church. But as we get ready to do that, you've heard me say this before. I want to remind you again, as we go very missiological in the next several months, you are not looking at the pastor of Christ the King Church. I'm looking at the pastors of Christ the King Church. You are God's anointed. You are God's chosen. It says you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You have been set apart and you're not to be ashamed because the Bible says you're going to get to exchange your shame for a double portion of joy and fully embrace the God that has called you into freedom. You're the pastors and there is no plan B. Does that freak you out? It should. It should also say, found people, find people. So you get to pastor in your place of work, because guess what? I'm not welcome there. You get to welcome, or you get to bring Jesus and minister in classrooms all over this county that I never get an opportunity to walk into. College students... You're the pastors of Western Washington University. You are the pastors and priests of Whatcom Community College and the Northwest Indian College and the Bellingham Technical College and Charter College. You're the pastors. Put on the collar and preach. Can I get an amen from the 10 o'clock? And wherever it is that you have been called to, and don't leave it to anybody else, that's your mission. Should you choose to accept it? And this message will not self-destruct in a couple of seconds. All right, let's keep going. All of that to say this, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Here's Isaiah and the Apostle Paul saying the same thing. You were set free, so live free. Don't go backwards. Stand firm. Don't return back to the garbage that God saved you out of. Don't go back to your old life. Don't chain yourself up again. No, if you're free, be free. Because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. I got to close. March 2011, I was flipping through a New York Times. I do that every once in a while just to remind myself that there's a bigger bubble in the world outside of Whatcom County. And I ran across a story, it amazed me. It was a story of a 51-year-old former ex-con, a guy by the name of Robert Salzman. Robert had an unbelievable difficult childhood, spent most of his adult life in prison. And when he got out in 2001, he struggled. He didn't know what it meant to live free. He didn't know what it meant to have a job or pay rent. And so he ended up just kind of walking through New York City, working from homeless shelter to homeless shelter to homeless shelter. 
In June of 2010, Salzman said, he goes, I had uh, what I call a grace-like experience. He was on a subway car, just riding between stops, and a guy by the name of Rashad Ernesto Green, a writer and film director who happened to be riding on the subway that day, happened to be riding on the subway that day, saw Salzman, walked up to him and said, look, I'm casting a movie. I'm looking for someone to play the role of a bitter ex-con. Salzman just kind of smiled at him. There were a lot of famous actors up for the role in that movie. But Green looked at Salzman and gave him the part right there on the spot. In the ensuing months, Salzman found it hard to believe that he'd actually been set free from his prison life. In fact, he tells a rather humorous story about the fact he didn't know what to do with his paycheck. He didn't know what he was supposed to do now that he was working on a film set. In fact, he said, he goes, I didn't know where to go or what to do. So most nights he stayed on the film set, which was actually being filmed in an old abandoned prison because that's where he felt the most comfortable. The part of the story that got me was this. One night Salzman was exhausted after a long day of filming and he walked into one of the prison cells that were still being used as part of the film set and he fell asleep on one of the cots. Nobody saw him or noticed him because he was so deeply asleep and as they closed down the set at the end of the night, one of the film producers walked around and just slid all the doors of the cells closed. They weren't locked, but they closed them all. Salzman woke up hours later. You know what it's like when you wake out of a deep sleep and you're just kind of confused to where you are and what's going on? And started wailing and weeping because he believed that his time being set free and being hired as an actor, he thought it was all a dream. People that were working in the area heard him screaming from the inside of the cell. He actually went over to the door and began to shake the bars, not believing because it was all a dream to him until one of the producers came around the corner and walked up to the door and with his hand just gently pushed it open. He said, Robert, what's wrong? And Robert said, I thought my freedom was a dream. If you're a follower of Jesus, why is it that so many believers that I meet have been set free but have never chosen to walk out of the jail cell? Even though the king of freedom himself comes and opens the door every single day and says, come on out and participate in the mission with me. Read Isaiah 61. If you need your marching orders, there they are. Come on out. You're set free. You, it's not your freedom that was an imaginary binding. It's your sin. I've taken care of it. I've set you free. Now all you need to do is walk out. Why is it so many of us have been set free, but we choose to remain inside of a jail cell? The God of Isaiah 61 says this. The God of Galatians 5 says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, and he who has been set free has been set free indeed. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Here's my question. Why would we stay bound when Jesus has said the express reason why I came was to set you free on the freeway to freedom.
Today you got to watch people be baptized. They took an off-ramp on the journey towards freedom, and we had an opportunity to cheer for them. Each one of us now is called back onto the thoroughfare of freedom with an opportunity to share deeply with every person that we know. A two-word message from Isaiah 61 and Galatians 5. Jesus saves. Let's not just watch the freeway. Let's ride on it. Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you for this day and for this time. I thank you for those who are able to make it today. God, I pray that in each one of us a sense of freedom would well up deep inside of us and that we would use that freedom in order to gather others and walk them back towards the freedom that only you can give. God, I thank you that you chase prodigals. I thank you that you love to find people. I thank that your mission was to seek and save the lost. And God, as we have an opportunity to participate in that glorious mission, Lord, would you do a deep work inside of our hearts and souls? We love you today. We thank you that you paved the way to freedom. May we walk worthy of it this coming week. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And those who are truly free in Christ agreed together with all of their heart. And they said, Amen. Amen.